Good day and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson and as always, I'm really glad you decided to join us. So there has been a really notable increase in the number of nonprofit community-focused news sources here in Detroit in recent years. That's partially because legacy news organizations have really been struggling with changing platforms and aging business models, and these small but mighty newsrooms have kind of stepped up to try to fill the gaps, building solid foundations on mission-driven news that lifts the voices of residents who are often overlooked in other models. But just as some of these organizations were really gaining traction, of course, we were all hit by the restrictions of the pandemic. And suddenly, journalists couldn't engage with the community in the same way that they had been. For months, there were no more in-person public hearings, town halls, or community forums. So the question is, how have these organizations been able to adapt and continue to tell the stories of underrepresented residents here in Southeast Michigan? That is where we begin the conversation today. And I'm joined by two people who have been doing this really hard work for some time. Uh, Orlando Bailey is the engagement director of Bridge Detroit and host of the podcast, Authentically Detroit. Orlando, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thank you for having me, Stephen. And Candace Fortman is executive director of Outlier Media. Candace, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me, Stephen. Yeah. So uh, before we get into the pandemic and the challenges that it presents, I want to give each of you a chance to talk about your organizations, your missions, and the kinds of stories you're trying to tell and how they may differ from what people see in, uh, in commercial media. Candace, I'll start with you. All right. So Outlier Media is a service journalism organization, and we look at the information needs of Detroiters, and that is how we talk. That's how we have set the beats of our newsroom. So we survey Detroiters to ask them what their highest information needs are. If they had a reporter working with them today, what would they have that reporter go find? And we also look at available public record information, United Way information, and other records to see what are Detroiters asking questions about. From there, we have an SMS text message service. Detroiters can text it. They can text Detroit to 73224, and they'll find automatically reported information on everything from food banks to education, and right now, of course, during COVID, testing and also vaccination information and a myriad of things in between. We also do investigative and watchdog information um, to really expose how systems work against and not always for the folks that we serve. We have a collaborative newsroom. We work in partnership with all sorts of newsrooms across the city, from the Detroit Free Press to Detour Detroit and, of course, Bridge, Michigan. And we also run the Detroit Documenters Program, which trains residents to go to public meetings, or in this time, of course, Zoom into public meetings, and to take notes that are um, available publicly for both journalists and communities to utilize. It really allows us to be able to bring the community into our newsroom to teach them parts of this job and to make sure that we're creating an equitable newsroom that residents know they are a part of building. Hmm. Uh, Orlando, before I have you uh, talk about Bridge Detroit, I need to 
make a little bit of a disclosure, given that uh, you and I work together at Bridge Detroit. Uh, you're the engagement uh, director. I am the, the founding editor uh, of Bridge Detroit. So I actually know the story there. So also, this is a test, man. You, you, you've got to get this right. Because <laughs> now you're talking with someone you work with. Who knows what the story is? Um, go ahead and uh, tell the listeners uh, what we do at Bridge Detroit. Absolutely. I first want to say hello to my wonderful friend and amazing partner uh, in this work, Candace Fortman. But Bridge Detroit is a new journalism and engagement organization that seeks to report on the needs that Detroiters themselves identify. Uh, Candace really uh, laid an amazing groundwork to what it is that we do. And Outlier has been an outstanding partner since uh, our inception and even in the beginning, where we seek to build what we are calling a community priorities model where we talk to as many Detroiters as we can to hear about their Detroit experience and from there identify similarly to Outlier those information gaps and needs that exist and then tailor our journalistic prowess to report on those needs to help find solutions to add accountability and at times uh, watchdog, right? Uh, we are a partner with Outlier. We are a partner with uh, the Detroit uh, Documenters uh, program as well. And uh, this year has been, <laughs> it's, it's, it's been fun. You know, we started right on the brink of the pandemic. And so uh, we've all, our staff is probably only seeing each other maybe three times <laughs> in person. Two, two times were for photo shoots, socially distanced. So it's been it's been an interesting time. How did I do, Stephen Henderson? I, I, I give you an A plus, man. That was pretty good. <laughs> um, so I, I do want to talk about the disruption that the pandemic uh, introduced to this work, and specifically to the work of engaging with Detroiters. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure that it's something that a lot of people have given a lot of thought to. Uh, it's, it's sort of a wrinkle in the overall uh, disruptions that people had in their lives. But, but Candace, talk about how the way that Outlier interacts with Detroiters had to change uh, because we, we couldn't be doing a lot of the things that we, we have always been doing. So the, the pandemic was very interesting for Outlier and that I think that for a lot of newsrooms, it really was a shakeup. But for us, it really was a grounding of our model. It allowed us to see that the model we built was stronger than we even thought that it was because our model was built on having a consistent and constant way to communicate with Detroiters. So that text message system that we had built first to just be a housing and utility service, so really helping to Detroiters with rental issues, um, tax foreclosure issues, uh, dealing with the water department or DTE, all of a sudden we realized that it really needed to expand during COVID because, as we all know, Detroiters, um, the issues Detroiters were facing grew almost overnight. So Detroiters who had never had a problem um, for ha perhaps uh, providing food for their families all of a sudden lost their jobs and needed to know where could they go to find food. And so we reconfigured our SMS text message service and included more beats. So what we found is that that model that we already had was just, it just needed to be massaged a little bit. Once we did that, we actually, we actually had more Detroiters texting us than we had even before. So um, where we might have received maybe at our, um, at our, in our biggest month, which typically during um, the Detroit tax foreclosure season, we might've had 400 
um, Detroiters texting us during that season and say, let's say 2019, in April of 2020, you would have had 400 people texting us a week. That's mm-hmm. a really big difference. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, all credit to our reporting staff who sits in that system. There's one reporter assigned to the system every single day who is responding directly to people because I think it's important to say that it's not just automated information. If you get through the system and you realize you still have a question or what you needed wasn't there, there's an option to speak directly to a reporter in our newsroom. So every day there's a reporter in our newsroom who is monitoring that service and answering questions. So they have to become sort of experts in a lot of things very quickly in order for the service to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, Orlando, uh, as you pointed out, Bridge Detroit was launched just as the pandemic was was taking hold of our lives and twisting them all up. Uh, and so this has been a building project in the middle of the pandemic, not just an adaptive uh, exercise. I mean, it's it's sort of uh, trying to... to uh, alter the, the the shape of the car while you're while you're building and driving it. Um, but the community priorities model that uh, that you are working on uh, has has taken shape over the over the last year. But talk about how that had to be different, and talk a little about what uh, what you've come up with and what it's telling us. Yeah, sure. So <laughs> starting uh, last March, you know, I had I had lofty goals in terms of how we wanted to uh, pursue engaging Detroiters. I come from the nonprofit community development sector, uh, working in that sector for eight years. And so I had some, you know, ideas. And once the trauma uh, began to subside as me not being able to implement any of those ideas because <laughs> of the pandemic. We really had to just buckle down and figure out how uh, to pivot our engagement efforts. And so what we were able to do is, number one, put together a community advisory council with a cross-section of partners ranging from uh, community development organizations to philanthropic organizations, residents, artists, Uh, You know, it just runs the whole gamut to help us figure out how to engage Detroiters with this new reality. And so we part we were able to partner with 12 different community development organizations around the city who had access to their resident constituencies because residents were still coming to them with very palpable needs, everyday needs that uh, uh, community development organizations were able to help to meet. And those CDOs were able to help us pull together focus groups. We had one in-person meeting in Bangladesh last summer, socially distanced, uh, phone polling, and all of that to really get to hear from Detroiters. It was a slow process. It was a slow go. A lot of those CDOs had to furlough staff and uh, even let staff go. And so it was a slow uh, moving train, but the train, you know, got moving. And so we released our uh, progress report in the beginning of fo- first quarter that began to you know, sort of highlight some of what we heard from residents. And one of the things that we heard from residents, of course, are concerns around uh, COVID-19 and mask mandates and access to testing at the time. But another interesting um, found finding that we uh, uncovered was folks were very, very curious around neighborhood development and what engagement looks like in neighborhood development on part of developers, on part of municipal partners, and community benefits with new developments, especially that the city uh, was uh, implementing. And so 
we, we are rocking and rolling now. Uh, housing stability is another uh, piece, the property tax foreclosure a crisis that is still going on in the city of Detroit is still front of mind for a lot of residents as well as crime. So how do we, how do we stay safe? but how do we practice restorative justice practices within our policing, right? So all of these dichotomies and tensions that, uh, that came to bear in our conversations. Yeah, yeah. I- I'm talking with Orlando Bailey. He's the engagement director of Bridge Detroit, host of the podcast Authentically Detroit, and with Candace Fortman, who is executive director of Outlier Media. Outlier and Bridge Detroit are two examples of uh, hyper-local, community-focused news organizations that uh, have cropped up in the last few years here in Detroit. Uh, we're talking about how the work that they do, which is really connected with Detroiters themselves, uh, has been interrupted by the COVID-19 pandemic and how they've had to sort of adapt their models to fulfill their missions. Uh, If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. Tell us what you think the media landscape looks like here uh, in Detroit during the pandemic. Has it changed? Have you noticed things that you didn't notice before? Also, if you live in Detroit, tell us what kind of stories uh, you think, what kind of journalism you think uh, local news organizations should be focusing on. Uh, What kind of stories also are you tired of journalists? focusing on that you think uh, maybe get uh, too much attention. Uh, Also, give us a call and let us know how you think journalists can better respond to the needs of the communities they serve. Uh, As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook or Twitter, put comments there, and uh, we'll try to include you in the conversation uh, that way. Uh, Orlando and, and Candace, I want to talk a little about the future. Uh, now we are seeing lots of people be vaccinated. Uh, the CDC now says we can go back to life without masks in large numbers. I'm a little nervous about that, but I, I know people are going to take advantage of it. Uh, the, the, the world's coming back together, at least in some ways, uh, the way it was before. So what does that look like uh, in, in your organizations? Where, where, do you, where do you pick up where you were before? Or where do you kind of, uh, I guess, implement maybe new things that you learned during the pandemic that, uh, that, make, that make things even easier for you? Candice, I'll start with you again. Sure. So first and foremost is that our team, like Orlando said, we might be able to see each other. I mean, we have hired someone um, who we have only seen in person one time. And as we're continuing to grow as an organization and bring in more staff, we're starting to look at office space again, which when we went out, I was my mind was almost blown. I didn't know how to act in public um, and in a real <laughs> office environment, um, having my, my home be my office for the last year plus. Um, so that's going to be a great thing. And, and I think, Stephen, you understand as well. There's really nothing quite like the buzz of a newsroom um, when everyone is together. There is a real camaraderie and an ability to share things that you, you miss over Zoom mm-hmm. and you miss over phone calls. Um, and also just the being with these people that you share this work with, they become um, almost like family. So that's going to be really nice. But also being able to bring our community of practice back together, you know, the journalism community in Detroit is really tight. And so you've lost also that, our ability to get together and join, um, like with the community foundation meetings. 
So being able to have all of those newsroom folks together um, collaborating and figuring out how to serve Detroiters better, but of course, most importantly, is bringing our community that we serve back together. So having our documenters be able to go into public meetings in person, being able to come together for meetings to talk about, to do trainings, to talk about, you know, what they're facing, what their hopes and joys are. All of those things are starting to come back, um, not as quickly as I think maybe people would want, but I think um, sometime this summer and certainly during the fall, we'll see more of that. Yeah, Orlando? I am excited that there's a possibility that we can come together. I'm, I'm like <laughs> campus. <laughs> I, I I miss an office and I'm, I miss a team. But, you know, one of the sensibilities that I have, especially for my time working on the east side of Detroit, is that there is a real technological gap that exists within our city, whereby a lot of residents will not join me on Zoom for a focus group. Um, a lot of residents won't really, you know, let me call them and, you know, question them and ask them questions around what their information gaps are. And so that's really, really weighing on me. So I think that with uh, restrictions easing up, I have an opportunity to go to where those people are, the people who need our reporting, the people who need to tell us what's going on in their lives so that we can leverage journalism to help them out. Um, going to where they are, I had a conversation with uh, the Detroit Housing Commission um, the other day and talking about how to how to enter public housing, right? Where where who's engaging these people and who is talking to those folks about uh, what their information gaps are? But also, I am you know excited about the opportunity to build non transactional relationships. It's one of the things that I heard early on in our conversations with residents in terms of their experiences with newsrooms was that it was very transactional. Mm. Uh, newsrooms got what they wanted and quoted them, maybe in context or out of context. And sometimes those residents resented uh, media for that. And, you know, I wanted, I want to ensure and make sure that residents in our neighborhoods know and understand that this is a newsroom that <laughs> is yours. <laughs> um, and we want to open up our newsroom to that. And we want to make sure that residents feel and know and understand that they have a partner in media. Yeah. Uh, do, do either you worry about the hesitancy that Detroit residents have had about a lot of things uh, during the pandemic sort of bleeding over into connecting again with each other and with news organizations now that the world's coming back together? I mean, uh, look, we've we've been hit harder by this thing than than any other community uh, in Southeast Michigan, and there are good reasons that people are are frightened and confused, uh, even angry. Uh, does that make the invitation back to the connected world even even tougher than than it was before? What do you think, Candace? Yeah, I think um, that's a, a really beautiful question, Stephen. I think that we have to make space for that. We have to make space to what people are feeling. The shared trauma that we have experienced in Detroit is very real. There are a lot of people who would have showed up to these meetings a year and a half ago who are no longer here. Mm -hmm. That is a thing that we have to make space for. And as newsroom leaders, we need to be thinking about how do we create safety for folks? How do we extend invitations that are very personal? But more importantly, that we give people time some folks are going to want to come back to the very first meeting. If we post a meeting, they'll be like, Johnny, on the spot, here I come. 
And there might be not be there might be folks who don't join us for another year, and that's okay. This is one of those things where we're all relearning how um, to enter the world and how to really trust the information that we're receiving. And I actually think that's a really good practice for folks who engage with journalism to to use. Mm -hmm. You decide, you look at the information, you decide for yourself how you are going to utilize it. If we send you an invitation to a meeting, just because we're saying you should come doesn't mean that you have to come. You come when you're ready. And I think that for, I know Orlando very well, and I, you know, I know the other folks in, in this industry will be there when you're ready to come. Yeah, yeah. Orlando, uh, do you worry about getting people to re-engage now that we can? Uh, no, you know, similar to similar to what Candace is saying, you know, uh, we we just we have to allow uh, time, uh, and we have to allow residents to to heal. I think, you know, one of the things that is cemented in my mind is that memorial that Rochelle Riley put together last year along Belle Isle, uh, memorializing the people that we lost. We experienced a great deal of loss in our city and people are still grappling with that. People are still tired. People are still grieving. People are still hitting walls and people are still afraid. It wasn't a few weeks ago where I was still in the house <laughs> afraid, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so allowing uh, time to, to be our friend, but also uh, putting away our, our angle for some time and putting away what we need to get out of it and turning over our platform for residents to be able to express whatever trauma they have, whatever disappointments they have, whatever it is that they're feeling, creating a space for that to happen before we get into, okay, this is what we need from you. How do you feel about this? Let's just have, let's just have a time where we can just be and then be together and work together finally. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Candace Fortman, and Orlando Bailey, two familiar voices here on Detroit Today and, of course, all across the city of Detroit. It was really great to have you here for this conversation. Thanks to both of you. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I'm going to talk with writer and New America fellow Caleb Gale about his new piece in The Atlantic about how the designation of historic preservation can bring economic opportunities communities of color. Really fascinating conversation coming up. Stay where you are. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today.